Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite. And today we have a very special guest, Ryan O'Blenis from Spartans Illustrated. He's going to break down everything Michigan State ahead of uh, the Rutgers-Michigan State matchup this Saturday. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Excited to talk some ball. Of course. Uh, you know, it's been a very interesting season, to say the least, for Michigan State. Uh, talk about kind of where things stand right now. Obviously, you... you there, there was a an allegation or the scandal involving uh, Mel Tucker. He was recently fired uh, with calls from the university. So just talk about where this program stands right now. And I guess you guys had the perfect time for a bye week last week as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, you know, it was right after the second game of the year uh, against Richmond, where this kind of bombshell came out about Mel Tucker with, um, you know, sexual harassment allegations by Brenda Tracy, who was somebody who, um, you know, Tucker and the university had brought in previously to talk to the team about sexual assault awareness. Um, You know, she's an advocate, gang rape survivor, uh, stuff like that. And I guess, um, you know, whatever happened between her and Mel Tucker, Tucker, got involved, um, you know, got feelings romantically for her that she, you know, says she didn't reciprocate. Um, then the whole thing happened, you know, with the phone sex and all of that. Um, you know, the, the university was aware that these allegations were out about him, but they didn't know who the accuser was. You know, they, they didn't know a lot of the details because there's firewalls in place between, you know, the athletic department and the Title IX office. Um, So, you know, people knew that something was going on, but they didn't exactly know what it was specifically, you know, at least the majority of people in the athletic department and around the university. So when the USA Today article came out with all of these gruesome details and stuff like that, um, you know, the next day Tucker was suspended. Um, Marlon Barnett was named acting head coach. Uh, You know, a couple of weeks later. Tucker was fired for cause for, um, you know, violating the the moral clause of his contract, essentially. And so it's been, you know, a whole whirlwind within the program. Obviously, it's been a lot for the players to deal with, a lot for the assistant coaches to deal with. And, you know, right now, I think everybody there is just trying to do their best to, you know, a, a lot of what they say is mission focused. They still understand that they have a job to do this season. They're still trying to win as many games as they want. You know, they say the opponents don't care about what's going on in the Michigan State program. They still have to go out and play their best and try to win games. So basically it's been a lot of just trying to weather the storm and, and figure out what's going on here. So, um, you know, obviously it's not an ideal situation. You lose your head coach and, um, you know, you're having struggles on the field and this, that, and the other thing. But basically. Uh, you know, Michigan State's just trying to get by as best they can right now. All right. So obviously we were talking about uh, you said a lot about Mel Tucker and allegations and everything like that. Now, Harlan Bennett's taking over. I don't know how much practice access or how much access you guys have had to him so far, but how has he kind of handled the interim head coaching job so far? 
Yeah, um, I mean, obviously for him too, it's been a, a whirlwind process and a lot to deal with, and it, it's obviously a big change. Um, you know, all the players, though, have tremendous respect for Barnett. They've said it. Uh, he's a guy who says he's a Spartan through and through. You know, he played for Michigan State in the 1980s, uh, then he played in the NFL, and he's been coaching. At Michigan State, um, you know, ever since the Mark D'Antonio days, he he left briefly to be defensive coordinator for Florida State, and then he came back when Tucker was hired in 2020. Um, but you know, this this is a guy who lives and breathes Michigan State and Michigan State football. Um, he's kind of a champion of the university and the program. So, um, you know, as far as being a head coach, I think he's still he's obviously still learning on the job. He said it's something that he's always wanted to do. Um, and, you know, obviously under these circumstances, it's not how he wanted to take over. But being the head coach in Michigan State's kind of been his dream job for a long time. So, um, you know, essentially he's still – there's obviously like game management decisions and, um, you know, personnel decisions and stuff like that that I think they're still working through, still trying to figure out what, what the best way to do is. Um, and, you know, they brought in Mark D'Antonio back as associate head coach who – uh, is really more of an advisor role. Um, you know, I don't think he, he's too directly involved with the game planning and the decision-making within games and stuff like that. But it, what he is is a sounding board for the other coaches, obviously. He's the winningest coach in Michigan State football history. He has a lot of knowledge of the program. He's a defensive specialist. Um, when he talks, the other coaches listen, but he doesn't want to step on too many toes right now, the other assistant guys and Barnett and stuff. But he's basically just there to be a sounding board and to help out in any way that he's needed. Um, so I think, you know, Barnett is doing the best he can with the job. I think, uh, you, you know, there's things that you see within the game that, uh, you know, kind of make you question like, okay, um, Noah Kim's been struggling. Why hasn't Caton Hauser been brought in yet? Or, you know, why, why didn't they stick with the running game more against Iowa? Um, you know, that was working well early on in the game. So just things like that, that, you know, you can't really fault the guy three weeks, four weeks, whatever, into being thrown into a head coaching job. I think, like I said, it's, it's kind of trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, he, he's going to keep learning, um, you know, and, you know, I think he, he would really want the permanent head coaching job. I don't necessarily see that happening, but he's, uh, you know, a guy who could possibly be kept on the next staff if, if the new coach wanted him or if he wanted to stay, or maybe he wants to pursue other things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he's well-respected. He's like I said, he's still learning what to do to be a head coach. Um, you know, I, th I think getting a win would be huge for not only Barnett, but Michigan state just to kind of get that chip off their shoulder. Um, you know, after all this stuff has happened, obviously Michigan state hasn't won a game since the Tucker suspension. Um, and since the competition level has gone up and you're playing teams like Washington and then getting into Big Ten play and things have gotten more difficult. So overall, um, I, you know, I, I'd still grade them as kind of incomplete. It's too early for me to tell. Obviously, like I said, there's a lot of decision-making things that I think need to be fine-tuned, especially when it comes to uh, uh, penalties because Barnett is big on preaching discipline and that hasn't really sh shown in games yet. Um, Michigan State had like 10 penalties and 94, 95 penalty yards against Iowa. So uh, at his press conference this week earlier, he was talking about how uh, MSU's kind of come up with creative ways to to kind of quell those penalties um, by 
having refs at the practice, uh, keeping track of everybody who gets a penalty, then they're setting them up in team meetings, uh, making them stand up with a penalty and a definition of the penalty. They have to read out loud to the group and then do 10 pushups in front of everybody. So they're trying to make, yeah, it's funny. So, so they're trying to make these changes and trying to do whatever it takes. But, um, you know, so far all this stuff hasn't really translated to the field. But again, effort has not been an issue at all with the players. Um, but they've been thrown into an impossible situation. And I think uh, another thing that that kind of bodes well for the job that Barnett is doing is that they've only had one player enter the transfer portal. Um, You know, when when Tucker was fired, a 30-day window opened up for any player. Um, There's been two other players who are no longer with the team, but they haven't officially entered the portal yet. Uh, Running back Jordan Simmons is the only one who's officially in there. So he's done a good job of kind of keeping that locker room together despite everything of the turmoil going on in the program, which is impressive to me. Yeah, that was what surprised me the most is because it's different when you get have a coach get fired in week eight and the, the players have already played enough games where they can't preserve a red shirt. But getting fired when he did, a lot of those players still could decide to just sit out. Even if they didn't announce they're in the portal, like you said, they could still preserve a year of eligibility. So that just shows the unity in the program, it seems, uh, behind the, the the coaching staff that is left behind. Um, it's always kind of awkward when, you know, a legend comes back. Like I remember a few years ago when um, when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, Bob Stoops came in and coached the bowl game. Um, a guy like Bill Snyder came back at K-State. Obviously, I'm sure there's so much traffic right now on Spartans Illustrated talking about the next potential coach. Do you think, you know, you, you already kind of said it's unlikely that Barnett is the next coach. Do you think it's just unlikely, just as unlikely that a guy like uh, Antonio could come back? And who are some of the names that Michigan State fans are kind of hoping for in terms of their next coach? Obviously, there's, um, well, to, to start with your first question, I, I don't think Antonio has much interest in coming back, even if Michigan State was interested in something like that. Um, you know, stranger mm-hmm. things happen. And it would be possible, like, you know, you brought up, like, Snyder at Kansas State and stuff. And, you know, Shiano even at Rutgers came back. So, yeah, like, yep. that happens. Um, and But I, I don't necessarily see that. You know, I think D'Antonio has really enjoyed retirement. I think he also got out of college football at the perfect time for him because I don't know how he would have handled, you know, NIL, transfer portal, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he is, like I said, the winningest coach in program history, and I'm sure he would have figured all that out. Uh, but he's kind of looked rejuvenated ever since he retired. And um, so I, I don't know that that'd be inter- of interest for either party. Um, you know, obviously names being brought up, there, there's a, a large amount of fans for whatever reason who want Urban Meyer to be the next head <laughs> coach, um, which just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, given his past transgressions and everything that's going on with, with Mel Tucker. And, you know, obviously in the last few years, um, all the scandals that the university has had and, all the baggage that Meyer brings just doesn't sound like a good marriage to me. Obviously he's one of the best college football coaches of all time and people are valuing winning at all costs over, you know, any perception. So I understand that aspect of it. Um, You know, there were rumors that Meyer was on campus, but that's not been anything that we've been able to, to confirm or that, you know, many people have been able to confirm. So I don't know if that actually happened or not, but there are people who, who said he uh, visited campus and, but, you know, athletic director Alan Haller said that he would be talking to a lot of people throughout this coaching search. And some people are legitimate candidates. 
some people are just kind of sounding boards or people that he's looking to get advice from. Um, and, and, you know, Meyer could fit into either one of those if he was indeed on campus. So, um, and obviously, I think Michigan State is keeping things very, very close to the vest when it comes to this whole co- coaching search because in the middle of a season right now when this whole thing went down and they're looking at candidates coaching at other schools who have teams of their own locker rooms, nobody can come out and say that they're interested in this job right now. Um, and if that stuff gets out, that can obviously hurt candidacy for certain people. So, you know, right now uh, things are, are very quiet. Obviously, there's been a lot of different names thrown out. Um, Charles Huff at Marshall, Mike Elko at Duke. Um, we, we, we've heard that maybe Elko isn't interested at the moment, but that was just from one source. And again, nobody's going to say that they're interested right now. So, you know, take everything with a grain of salt that you're hearing right now. Um, you know, Luke Fickle. His name has even come up. Uh, he was a guy who was very close to taking the jab in 2020 before Michigan State pivoted to Mel Tucker. Um, so, but obviously he just got to Wisconsin. If there are any legitimacies to his interest in the Michigan State jab this time, I feel like it's more of a ploy to get, you know, either a raise at Wisconsin or to get more NIL support funding, something like that, um, you know, We've heard that Fickle is a long shot here, um, even though he might be willing to talk to MSU. And, um, you know, then you look at some of the the West Coast guys in the Pac-12 that's crumbling, like Oregon State's Jonathan Smith um, and Jake Dickert at Washington State. Those are names that have been thrown thrown around a lot. Uh, And, you know, there's been, like I said, a lot of different names that have come up throughout this process and a lot of different names that you're going to hear for one reason or the other, whether that is um, legitimate or or just kind of a rumor or whatever. There's definitely a lot of, you know, I I think what I'm trying to say is Michigan State's job, despite everything that has gone on in the program of late, is still going to be attractive because you're looking at, you know, a top 25, 26 winning program of all time. a huge salary pool for not only your head coach but your assistant your assistant pool um there's been some some recent issues with nil but you know i think nil support's going to be there if things continue trending you got a brand new football facility opening opening up soon so i think that there's going to be a lot of interest in the job and it's up to kind of michigan state right now you know they have their committee that they're that they're uh putting together now to kind of go through what names they're actually interested in. Um, you know, the, the, I think a search firm is going to be involved for, for at the minimum, things like background checks and, um, you know, deniable. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Plausibility and things like that. And, um, you know, overall, I think other names that have been thrown out have been like Brian Hartline at Ohio State and Sean Lewis, you know, at Colorado in terms of the the coordinator level. Um, And then, you know, other head coaches that have been thrown out, like 
Lance Leipold at, at uh, Kansas, Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. So there's no shortage of names that have been thrown around. It's just now kind of figuring out which one of those are actually going to be of interest mutually. Gotcha. So, so let's get into uh, talking about this year's Michigan State team. Um, we could start with the offense, and more particular, more in particular, I want to talk about the quarterback situation. Usually, teams on a bye week, there's been rumors about it, and usually on a bye week, they're going to switch quarterbacks. Is that the case here? Is Noah Kim gone and Kate Hauser the guy now? Uh, you know, I was at Barnett's press conference earlier this week. He was purposely vague about that whole thing, yeah. uh, saying that you know there's quote still good competition. They're going to keep it close to the vest, uh, you know, those guys are competing. But then later he kind of conceded that, yeah, okay, the coaching staff already knows which way we want to go. We just don't want to say because we don't essentially don't want to give Rutgers a competitive advantage. Um, to me, reading between the lines, I think, yes, that means Kate and Hauser's going to start because previously, um, you know, when Noah Kim was struggling and he got pulled and, and Hauser came in, uh, Barnett would say, like, oh, we were just trying to get a spark. Noah's still our guy. We're still going to go with the status quo. It's obviously a very different tone and very different thing what he's saying now. Instead of backing Kim 100%, he's basically saying, uh, we don't know yet, even though, you know, the coaches know. We just don't know publicly. And, you know, we, we've we heard from, some, you know, some of our guys have heard that the team does indeed plan to start Hauser. We don't, you know, you never know what could happen. It might be true. It might not be. Um, but. I would be surprised if it wasn't Hauser based on all of that. And um, so it's going to be interesting if it is Hauser's first start and, you know, probably sloppy conditions and against a, a tough Rutgers passing defense and defense overall. Um, you know, Hauser might have a little bit stronger arm, maybe a little less mobile, but more mobile than you think. You know, he's a bigger quarterback. Um, and, and accuracy is going to be kind of the question mark there. And, Avoiding turnovers is going to be key. So, you know, if it is Hauser, I'm very interested to see how he'll perform. Yeah, so Hauser is a redshirt freshman. He was a class of 22, four-star recruit out of uh, St. Don Bosco College or High School in California. Um, he's come in for mop-up duty a few games this year. He's 9 for 16 on the year passing for 158 yards with one interception, no passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown on the ground. Was this a case of just – you know, get the young guy in there to see if he's going to be a building block for this program moving forward. Because Noah Kim clearly wasn't that guy. Yeah, I, th I think it's more of a fact of this coaching staff's future is uncertainty or is uncertain, and they need to win games now to, um, you know, not only try to to stay on staff next year with whoever the new head coach is, but it's also building their resume for whatever new staff might want them. So. I think the goal is still just to win as many games as you can, no matter what. And Kim um, has really struggled over the past three games. The first two games, he got off to slow starts against really weak opponents in Central Michigan and Richmond, and then he kind of lit them up. And, you know, after the, the first quarter, you know, starting the second quarter, whatever. Um, but then as the competition level got better, you know, they played Washington, Maryland, and Iowa, and, you know, Kim – really struggled with turnovers, really struggled with accuracy off target on a lot of throws. Um, you know, he also had some some balls that were right on the money that were dropped um, for touchdowns and things like that too. So uh, I think what it boils down to is really protecting the football, being more accurate, giving yourself a better chance to win. And I do think too, if you're getting Hauser in there now um, and, my, and he gets that experience for the rest of the year, 
that could also help him want to stay in East Lansing and not enter the transfer portal at the end of the year, um, you know, even if a new head coach comes in. Uh, obviously, that's all dependent on the new head coach's plan, on Hauser's plan, stuff like that. But I do think getting him that experience now is helpful. And, I, you know, like you said, will be a, a big building block of the future. But with a, with a future so uncertain, Michigan State's focus is just on the now right now, and they're just fighting for to win as many games as they can, make a bowl game and salvage whatever they can of, of the season after all the turmoil and stuff that's been going on. So that's kind of my take on it. Now, now, what about the running game? I know um, Rutgers fans in particular want to know about Jalen Berger specifically, but um, I know Nathan Carter is the lead guy there. Um, I'm pretty familiar with him because of my time with covering UConn a couple years ago, but can you just talk about his uh, his bounce back, basically, because I know he missed the entire 2022 season for the most part. Yeah, so Carter is a really impressive kid, both on, on the field and off the field. Um you know, he lets his, his faith in God and, and stuff really kind of drive everything he does. Um, and I think because of that, he kind of plays he uh, freely because he feels like that's where he needs to be. Um, but he, he's, you know, physically, he's very impressive. Um, you know, he, like I said, I think he, earlier, uh, before we started recording, there was a video of him squatting like 600 pounds. Um, like you said, he, he recovered pretty quickly from that sh- uh, shoulder surgery. He's just a tough kid. Um, good kid, good runner. He he runs hard. He falls forward. Um, doesn't mind contact. The, the the run blocking hasn't always been great this year. I think it's been getting better. Um, so I think you know when Carter has struggled, it it hasn't all been on him. It's been more about offensive line, tight end blocking, stuff like that. Um, but he's you know really been the focal point of the offense. And like I said against Iowa, I think they should have continued giving him the ball a little bit more try to, um, you know, when they had the lead, try to grind out the clock and he was getting tough yards and, and things like that. And, you know, I think you're going to see a heavy dose of him on, on Saturday against Rutgers, especially if it is rainy like it's supposed to be in his house's first start. Um, and, you know, the conditions are sloppy. They're really going to need to to lean on Carter in that run game to get those tough yards um, and and really try to chew the clock and, uh, control the clock, control time of possession, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Carter's been as advertised. He came into in, into the season with a lot of hype. Um, even though you know he came from UConn and he was coming off that shoulder injury, I don't think a lot of people outside the program really knew about him. But from what we were hearing during spring ball, and uh, you know, talking to him in person during media availabilities, and, and talking to his teammates and coaches who just raved about him, um, you know, it. I I use this not literally, but in the sense that when Kenneth Walker three transferred in, you know, Carter's not Kenneth Walker three. Walker was a generational talent, but Carter's very good. But the vibes were kind of the same in terms of how everybody was just like, watch out for this guy. He's really good. Um, you know, he he's going to do a lot in our running game. Um, and he's a really unselfish guy, too. He wants to see all his other running backs and teammates do well. Um, and as for Berger, just he, he's been injured for a few games. He came back briefly against, uh, Iowa. He, you know, he, he didn't get that many carries. So I think after the bye week, giving him more chance to heal up, you might see a little bit more of Berger this weekend if he's healthy and ready to go. But he was the leading rusher in 2022 after transferring him from Wisconsin. So he's a really capable back himself. He kind of really got going toward the end of the 2022 season after a slow start. So I think, um, having that one two punch, 
and being and you know Berger being able to take pressure off of Carter is going to be really helpful. But yeah, Carter will still be the lead back at the majority of the carries. Yeah, and he's got a, a crazy percentage of the the rushing uh, totals for you guys. Four hundred seventy-seven of the team's six hundred rushing yards and four of the six rushing touchdowns. Who are some other players on offense that Rutgers fans should be aware of? Even if it's an offensive lineman or a pass catcher, who who else should Rutgers fans be be on the lookout for this Saturday? What I should mention too about the running back position is that uh, Jaron Mangum was brought in from South Florida, and he's been hurt all year. Um, I'm interested to see if he's going to be healthy for this Rutgers game and, and get anything. We obviously haven't seen him this year, so I can't say too much about him, but he had you know a really productive career when he was at Colorado and South Florida beforehand. He's a bigger back who can fight for yards. So uh, I am, you know, Harlan Barnett said that they got some guys back after the bye week, and I'm wondering if he's one of them. Um, but anyway, in terms of other guys who have been contributors this year, uh, tight end Malik Cars. Finally kind of starting to come around to uh, reach his talent. Um, you know, he, he's an incredible physical specimen of, of size, speed, ability. Um, you know, he transferred him from Purdue in uh, 2021. And, you know, uh, people had questioned his blocking and thing like that coming into the year. But I think he's really improved in that area. And as a receiver, he's really good. He had like six catches in the first quarter against Iowa before he got hurt and wasn't able to return. Um, and Barnett said after the game that the plan was to feed him as much as he can take, basically. Um, so I think you might see Carr, uh, you know, uh, Barnett said he should be back for this week. So uh, Carr could be that safety blanket for Hauser, or if it's still Noah Kim starting, um, you know, I, I expect him to still be heavily involved in the passing game, especially, again, if the conditions are wet and they're looking to just get quick passes to the tight end and things like that. Um, or, uh, wide receiver, the there's not really a, a go-to kind of superstar guy there. What they do is throw a bunch of different receivers at you with Trey Mosley, Jerron Glover, Montori Foster Jr., you know, Antonio Gates Jr., um, all those kind of guys who, uh, you know, like I said, aren't, aren't going to necessarily be guys who you have to, like, double-team and triple-team and really focus your game plan on, but who are all capable of making plays uh, in the passing game. You know, Christian Fitzpatrick's another one and Tyrell Henry. So there's no shortage of names uh, at wide receiver. It would be nice to see like one or two of those guys really step up and be able to take a game over. Um, But again, that also I had to do on on more consistent quarterback play. And so, you know, those are kind of the names to watch. Um, Offensive line is going to rotate a lot of guys in. You got a lot of, a lot of veterans who, who will start like Nick Samak at center and J.D. Duplain at left guard. Uh, Gino Vander- Vandermark, uh, he he was a New Jersey guy, wasn't he? Uh, yep. Yeah. So is Wigginton, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Wigginton too. So so those two are kind of – Vandermark's been out uh, the last couple games, and, and Wigginton stepped in for him at mm-hmm. uh, right guard. So I'm curious to see if Vandermark will be back this week and if uh, – if not, it'll be Wigginton again. But either way, I expect both those two to play, you know, significant snaps on the interior um, if they're both healthy. And if not, you know, Wigginton will kind of take that over. Um, you know, at tackles, you got Spencer Brown, Brandon Baldwin, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys who are going to rotate in, like Ethan Boyd. Uh, Keyshawn Blackstock was a JUCO transfer who did not dress for the Iowa game. Uh, curious to see if he'll be back. You know, that's another guy who will rotate in. So. They throw a lot of different guys at you on the offensive line, but um, you know that starting group's obviously going to play the majority there. 
Now switching to the defense, I, I know Rutgers has had some struggles against some some of the bigger pass rushes that they've went against so far this season um, in Michigan and Wisconsin. Michigan State has a pretty big defensive line. It seems like they, they had a huge first uh, start to the season. They had 10 sacks in the first two games and then just one over the next three. Um, do you think they can bounce back after a bye week? Or what, what's, what seems to be the issue there? It seems like they're getting close, but they're just not really getting the sacks. Yeah, um, you know, I think you saw – kind of a similar thing in 2022 as, as the competition level increased, the sack percentage went down and um, that just kind of happens, I guess, it, mm-hmm. as they're facing better offensive lines. But that is something that they need to do better is get to the quarterback, get pressure. Um, similar to the offensive line, the defensive line is going to throw a lot of different guys at you. Um, you know, on the edges, you're gonna, Zion Young is a guy who, who can play both defensive end or they might move inside on passing down. Same with uh, Texas A&M transfer to Miche Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Avery Dunn and uh, Chris Bogle and all these different guys are are kind of playing on the ends. Brandon Wright's another one um, who you're going to see. And then, you know, in the interior, uh, Simeon Barrow Jr. has kind of become a team leader. Uh, he's a really good interior guy. Um, Maverick Hansen, Derek Harmon. Uh, you know, Jalen Sami was a Colorado transfer who was playing a lot early. And, and for whatever reasons, I don't know if he's dinged up or, or something else. He hasn't played as much lately. Um, but, you know, it's another guy that you might see in the interior. So I don't know necessarily what the issue is with actually getting pressure on the quarterback that they throw a lot of these different guys in. I think the main thing is just consistency and trying to find the best combination of those guys who are actually going to, to work, to pressure the quarterback, to take the quarterback down, to make things difficult there. So it's a lot of, like I said, a lot of different names you're going to see. Um, and hopefully they're able to have more success against Rutgers. It seems like the Michigan State defense in general has done really well when their backs were pressed against the wall. And I base that off of two statistics that I found interesting. One is you guys are second in the nation in third down conversion percentage allowed. You're only allowing 23% uh, first downs on third down this year. And you're also 15th in the FBS in red zone defense. So you're only allowing opponents to score about 70% of the time when they enter the red zone. 10 uh, touchdowns on 20 red zone appearances against teams. Are those statistics accurate or, you know, sometimes stats aren't giving the full story. Would you, would you agree with those two, those stats uh, pointing out to you guys playing well, good, good, like bend, but don't break style defense. So I'm glad you brought that up actually, because I've been pounding the table that Michigan state has an elite third down defense, like all season long. And nobody will believe me because they're so terrible. <laughs> on second down. Um, hmm. But when it does come to third down, they get a lot of, a lot of stops and you know that's good if you're able to get off the field or, or force field goals when you're in the red zone and things like that so you know I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a bend don't break defense I just think that they are finally able to buckle down when they get into those later downs but the issue is more so giving up big plays on the early downs and um and you know they, they need to create more turnovers like we talked about earlier they need to get more sacks stuff like that um but Overall, the last couple of weeks, you know, throw out that Washington game where you're playing the best uh, passing offense in the country with three or four NFL receivers and an NFL quarterback. But uh, then in that Maryland game early on, um, you know, they gave up, I think the defense gave up like three touchdowns in a row to start, but also turnovers from the offense gave up a bunch of short fields there. And, uh, you know, they, they really buckled down in that second half against Maryland and they really played well against Iowa, who obviously doesn't have a very good offense. 
Um, so I don't know, you know, how much you can actually read from that, but I do think that the defense is better than a lot of people give them credit for. Um, you know, defensive coordinator Scotty Hazelton was talking this week that you know the defense has a lot of grit and the communication has been better. Um, you know, in previous years, all the communication ran through safety Xavier Henderson who was, you know, a team leader and, and orchestrated the whole defense. And when he got hurt last year, you kind of saw that all fall apart. So this year they really put an emphasis on more guys being able to communicate with each other back there and know what they're doing and having more guys with that kind of responsibility. So, yeah, I mean, I, the third down defense has been really good, whether you want to people want to admit it or not. And, um, you know, obviously some of that does come from playing weak opponents early on, like Central Michigan and Richmond. And some of it, like I said, does come from lack of success on early downs and then finally buckling down at, on uh, third down. And, you know, the, the red zone defense has been pretty legitimate, too, as you point out. Um, you know, Angelo Gross had, had a nice interception against Maryland in the end zone when Maryland was threatening. So, you know, I think they're able to to kind of batten down the hatchets there a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's still a work in progress overall, though. So another group of stats that I, I wanted to bring up, kind of the opposite side of the coin, it seems like you guys are doing really poorly. It seems like, and you can tell me if this is wrong, um, it seems like you guys aren't very disciplined. You're 119th in penalties per game. You're averaging about eight penalties per game. And you're also 128th in the FBS in turnover margin. Uh, so turning the ball over a lot, not get, forcing many turnovers and committing a lot of penalties. Is that fairly dead on? Yeah, absolutely. And Barnett's talked about that a lot too, is that, you know, Michigan State, for as much as, you know, he, he obviously has been giving credit to the opponents for winning the game and stuff too, but Michigan State has made it difficult on themselves because of those penalties and because of those turnovers. Um, you know, obviously there's a direct correlation between how many times you turn the ball over and winning percentage and, um, you know, and, and penalties are obviously killers too. Um, I think against Iowa, there were like Michigan State had like a third and three late in the game. I can't remember if they were leading at the time. Oh, yeah. I, okay, yeah. I believe they were leading at the time. They had a third and three, something like that. They got called for like two false starts back to back and made it like third and 13. They Jeez. didn't. Uh, they didn't convert. Then they punt, and Iowa returns it for a touchdown. Um, so, you know that those penalties directly correlated to that special teams touchdown, basically, because they made it so difficult on themselves. And you know, instead of having to face a third and three where they may have picked it up, they had a third and thirteen where they weren't able to, and then they gave up a touchdown on special teams. So, all of that stuff you know, has been directly related to some of these losses. And uh, like I was talking about earlier, Barnett and the staff have, have been trying to put an emphasis on uh, getting better in terms of discipline with penalties and, and taking accountability and, and, you know, tracking that stuff during practice and having to get up in front of the team and do push-ups and whatever it might be, um, you know, whether that actually translates to the game field. We'll see but, you know, that they're at least making some sort of effort to fix that. And, you know, and the turnovers, if Hauser is, you know, the start of this week, I think a big reason why is because Noah Kim kept turning the ball over and, you know, kept missing throws. So all of that stuff is, um, you know, like I said, directly correlated and ha has really contributed to a lot of these losses. And Michigan State has beaten themselves, you know, over, over the last two weeks. Um, 
or two games that they played, especially I think in that Iowa game. So, and you know, in that Maryland game too. So you said we'll see if it translates to the field. I think that segues nicely into making some predictions. So Rutgers opened as a three-point favorite in this one. Uh, it quickly got bet up to five and a half. It's currently at four and a half. How do you see this game playing out? So I think Rutgers has a very good defense. Um, and, the you know, we talked about the, the possible rainy, slappy conditions. Um, like I said, I think Michigan State's really going to have to lean on that run game. Nathan Carter, um, you know, throw Jalen Berger in if he's healthy, Mangum in there too. And uh, I expect it to be kind of low scoring because, like I said, I, I do like the way Michigan State's defense has been playing lately. And, I you know, and Rutgers has a really good defense as well, as I mentioned. So I don't, you know, see a lot of points, especially if it's going to be rainy, especially if it's Kate Hauser's first start, whatever. Um, you know, I think we're looking at a, a more low scoring game. I expect it to be close throughout. Uh, but I also really think that Michigan State is extremely motivated to get a win, and when everybody's counting them out, um, I would not be surprised at all to see Michigan State walk walk out of uh, there with you know a three point win, something like twenty four twenty one, something like that. All right, so you got twenty four twenty one Michigan State, Richie. What's your prediction for this game? Uh, I was actually very close to that, but I'm going lower scoring in that. I know the over-under is 39 right now. Um, the rain definitely is going to play a major factor. It sounds like a legit thunderstorm, so we'll we'll see how much of a factor, but I think it's just going to be run, 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 like a typical typical Rutgers game, so basically nothing new there. But um, the clock's going to be ran out. Um, they're going to control the tempo. I think Rutgers both covers and the under hits, so I'm, I'm going to go 20 to 14. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do think this will be a low-scoring game. I think because it's we've had a few instances where we faced a, a quarterback uh, coming into their first start this year with their team, Ben Bryant with Northwestern, who's a veteran, but you know the mm-hmm. first time playing with a team. And same thing with Turmoil, Kyron Jones with Virginia Tech coming into his first start against Rutgers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I have a hard time seeing uh, Hauser kind of overcome those odds. I'm also going to say Rutgers covers, but it's not going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be something like 21 to 13 with, you know, some missed extra points, a lot of turnovers, just ugly in general. Uh, but yeah. I, I think Rutgers pulls it out. Um, Ryan, really appreciate you coming on and chopping this up with us. Is there anything you wanted to, to hit on before we sign off or anything you want to plug? Where, we, where can we find your work? Where can we find you on social media? Those kind of things. Yeah, definitely come check us out at uh, SpartansIllustrated.com or MichiganState.Rivals.com. Um, you can find us on, on Twitter at SpartansRivals. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan O'Blenes, R-Y-A-N-O-B-L-E-N-E-S-S. Um, thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, of course. All right, guys, for, for me and Richie and for Ryan, this has been another edition of the Net Report Podcast. Signing off. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.